0: Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 1 John chapter 1 and we will be in verses 29 through 34 And I'll tell you how I'm going to come at that in just a few moments But last week we looked at John the Baptist on the scene And we identified him as the older cousin of Jesus More importantly we identified him as the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 verse 3 So John the Baptist is a preparer for the hope that was about to come onto the scene. He was a preparer for Yahweh, and it was said that a preparer would come before Yahweh, the Messiah of the people, comes onto the scene. Israel was expecting a Messiah only for them, but we got a Messiah for the nations in Jesus. And then uh, John the Baptist was an Elijah type, and so he was dressed like Elijah, he was eating what Elijah ate, he was in the desert like Elijah, and he came calling Israel to repentance to prepare themselves for the Messiah who was coming. And uh, I talked to several of you, I heard from several of you that you were convicted last week after hearing from the testimony of John the Baptist. He proclaimed all that he was not so that he could point to all that Jesus Was And and some of you said that's convicting. Some of you said, man, this is really exciting. Some of you said "Uh, God is stirring in my life. And when I left church last Sunday and when I went into Monday, I thought, I can't wait to get to this Sunday because guess who shows up on the scene today? Jesus himself comes walking onto the scene. And, and John, he propped up Jesus' reputation. And John magnified the worthiness of the one who was to come. And John minimized himself and told everyone about someone greater who was coming. And it should inspire us to say, I can't wait to see Jesus. And as fantastic as John the Baptist's testimony was, man, Jesus is a lot better. And as awesome as the fulfillment of John the Baptist from the Old Testament is, the fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus is about to uh, fulfill as he steps onto the scene for the first time, it is so much greater than John the Baptist. And I've been praying this week that anyone here who has been teetering on the edge of giving your life to Jesus or those of you who, who you've sensed a stirring in your heart, a stirring in your life over the last four weeks if we, as we've studied John chapter 1. I've been praying that today would be the day that you are brought from death to life. Amen. That today would be the day that you finally humble yourself and confess your need for Jesus, your need to follow him. Today would be the day that you repent and believe. To learn about the deity of Christ, the eternality of Jesus like we did in John 1.1 1, 1. So important to study the incarnation, the truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is so important to, to look at John the Baptist testimony. It's very inspiring, but there is nothing like Jesus coming into your personal life. There's nothing like him walking into your world and changing you forever. There's nothing like beholding the lamb of God who can take away your sin. And so if you're here today and you're already a believer This is an opportunity to be brought deeper into a relationship with Christ, to behold him. If if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, this is an opportunity to forsake everything this world has to offer and give your life to Christ. So the big idea that I want to focus on in our time together is this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I took it straight from verse 29. Verse 29. Because there's a lot of details that I could give you. There's a lot of historical background. We'll hit a little bit of it. There's a lot of things I could pull exegetically out of this text today. But you could know everything in the text and you could miss that very one statement. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you would have missed the point of our passage today. So my prayer is not that you would walk away with more knowledge today, but that you would walk out of this room having beheld the the Lamb of God. That all week long you would be challenged to behold the Lamb of God who takes away sin. And so I want to read this text and then I want to pray boldly that the Spirit would meet us today. I've been praying all week that He would. And I want us to lean in together. Let's hear the word of the Lord. John chapter 1 starting in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man whom ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness We desperately need you today. And Lord, I just sense that the enemy wants us to be distracted. I sense that the enemy wants us to be focused on lesser things today. I sense that the enemy wants our minds to be racing and running so fast that we, we miss beholding the Lamb of God who can take away our sins. So Spirit of God, I pray that you in your sovereign power, your grace, that you would would sweep over this place. You would hover over us with your gentle spirit. And Lord, you would open our ears and open our hearts and open our minds to perceive all that you are. God, to take us to a deeper belief in the person of Jesus Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us, that you would help us to tangibly see a Jesus who can walk into our lives and change us forever. So Spirit of God, would you just move right now in this room full of people? Would you draw people to salvation? Would you draw believers to worship? Would you move us toward repentance, O oh God? And would you help us not to be satisfied with a complacent faith? Would you help us not to be satisfied with the mundane ways of life. But Holy Spirit, would your word just empower us today? Would it move us today? Would you help us to behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin? God, we need you. It's all your words. So Spirit, would you speak among us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I'm gonna channel all my preaching power at verse 29 today. Uh, But I want to comment quickly on verses 30 through 34. I don't want us to get lost in all of the details. So I'm going to comment this week on 30 through 34. And then I'm going to comment next week on 30 through 34. When I get in the waters of baptism and people get in the baptism with me. And they share their testimony for Jesus Christ. But just look at verse 30 for a moment the thrust of this passage is in verse 29 but look at verse 30 this is he john the baptist says who i said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me so that's a direct quote from what we saw in the prologue in verse 15. and john saying though i'm the older cousin of jesus he ranks way before me because he was before abraham isaac and jacob he was in the beginning with god And he was God. So once again, John is finally recognizing and seeing that his cousin Jesus is pretty special. Look at verse 31. He says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So John the Baptist knew his cousin Jesus. I mean, he jumped for joy in the womb. But I don't think he knew to the degree that Jesus, his cousin was God in the flesh until the moment he's about to tell us about. John the Baptist is like, I'm not a prophet. I am not uh, Elijah. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the great knower. I I just simply come, and and this is my cousin Jesus, and I know I have a job to prepare the way for Yahweh. But then look at verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, descend from heaven like a dove And it remained on him, Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist like, I I knew Jesus was special, but that day... Uh, The other gospels record the day that Jesus got baptized. John has stripped away all the earthly details so we wouldn't get caught up in, in focusing on lesser things. He just simply wants us to behold that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you can have life in his name. So John the Baptist says, I saw the Spirit descend. I heard a voice boom from the heavens. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And it was in that moment that I knew that my cousin Jesus was something special. My cousin Jesus was not just my cousin. My cousin Jesus was born of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ able to save your life. John the Baptist saw it and he believed it. And he knew that Jesus was the son of God. And so with that context today. And, and with my introduction today. You should be asking one question in your mind. How? Do I behold the Lamb of God who can take away my sins? And as we take verse 29, I could see some of us saying, Man, it'd be really nice if Jesus would just walk into my life. It'd be really nice if I could just see Jesus walking toward me. That would would make my faith come alive so much more because it'd be tangible and I could see him and know that he exists. I I spoke with someone this week who said, It's not like God's going to just open up the sky and let me know that he's real, but that's the kind of thing that I need in order to know that God exists. You might be there today. Maybe you've been there in your life. Maybe you're like, if Jesus would walk onto the scene like he does in verse 29, then I would know that he is real and that all of this is worth it. And here's what I wanna say to you, be careful. Because remember what we learned in the prologue in verse 10. It says in verse 10 of John one, he was in the world, And the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Jesus, he comes to his own people, and his own people do not receive him. So don't give yourself so much credit as a human being. If the Bible reveals anything, it reveals that as humans, we are so lost in darkness and ignorance that we miss God every single day. We miss Jesus when he came the first time. We Don't trust that his word is sufficient for today and has all that we need for life and godliness. So we put it on the shelf. We rarely read it. We miss Jesus the first time. Now his word is not good enough today. And, And many will reject Jesus until it's too late. And if that's you, you will die confined to an eternal hell, forever aware that Jesus is God, but forever separated from his presence in eternal torment. And that doesn't take an ounce away from the love of God. The Bible says that God is slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. It says that he's rich in mercy. He's not willing that even one should perish. And yet when we have a God like that, who's constantly displaying his love and his mercy toward us, we still reject him. We still miss him. We still live in our flesh. We still live for the things of this world so with even more urgency this morning you can sense that i'm urgent today how can we behold the lamb of god who can take away our sins if you're a believer today you should be asking for immeasurably more beholding and you should be living in the elation of all of your sins erased is that how you live your life in the joy, in the elation, in the happiness of all your sins being taken away. That should be our prayer. May it be so after this sermon today. Here's point number one from verse 29. See the immeasurable value in God's lamb. See the immeasurable value in God's lamb. Verse 29, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the lamb of God. Now, this is a shocking statement that John makes as his cousin walks onto the scene. It would have gotten the attention of everyone within earshot. It would have puzzled many devout Jews waiting for a Messiah. It probably would have even caused those who were baptized by John the Baptist to scratch their head a bit. And it would have caused pious, arrogant Pharisees to loathe with anger as an ordinary carpenter from Nazareth is attributed with such a title. But John, having already witnessed Jesus' baptism, having already heard the voice of God from heaven, having already seen the Spirit of God descend like a dove and land on Jesus, remain on Jesus, John has no problem shouting in holy reverence and God-given confidence and in unspeakable joy, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." To the degree that you behold the person of Jesus is the degree that you will confidently proclaim who he is. John saw and John came saying, look, there he is. He's here. He's with us. Let's follow this man. So see the immeasurable value in God's lamb. There was not a Jew around during this time in history that would not have been familiar with the significance of a lamb. Think about this, two million Israelites left Egypt in Exodus and God instituted the Passover meal. So say there was only one lamb per family per year, say there were 10 people in every family. The Jews were sacrificing upwards of 200,000 lambs per year from 1400 BC until the cross of Jesus Christ. That's 280 million lambs over 1400 BC to the cross of Christ. It's a massive undertaking to raise lambs, to shepherd lambs, to keep lambs healthy and and, and spotless. And so many lambs came at the Passover in Jerusalem that the city of Jerusalem built an actual sheep gate to run all of those lambs through. And then year after year, family after family, knife after knife, slaughter after slaughter, blood pool after blood pool, Lambs were sacrificed to atone for sin, to remind people for sin, to, to cause people to, to come to God, to realize that God is merciful and I can sacrifice this lamb and still have a relationship with him even though this lamb is not taking away my sin. There's not a Jew in history that, that thought that the lamb was actually taking away their sin. It was just something they had to continually do. So you could see how it could become a little bit rote It could just become a part of their heritage rather than bringing a lamb in actual spirit and truth worship. You could just start to bring a lamb because that's what you do as Jews. It was meant to be a reminder to them of their sinfulness against the holy God and a reminder of God's mercy to pass over their deserved death and continue to be their God. Sacrificing lambs was what Jews did and what God graciously allowed. Sinners brought lamb to the Passover meal and it was merely a shadow pointing to the day when God would say enough and it was on that day that God decided to bring a lamb and when God brings a lamb it's something to behold the Jews did their best with a clean healthy barn animal but God literally gives us his spotless sinless son and so there's a lot of context Whenever John the Baptist proclaims about this man walking onto the scene, behold the Lamb of God. Red flags going off in everybody's minds. The Lamb of God? So how do we behold him? How do we see the Lamb of God? I was thinking about it this week in my own time. I was writing down every way I could possibly think of of why I need to behold the Lamb of God. I want to give you five values to behold God's Lamb today. Five values that you should be treasuring, seeing, beholding in the Lamb of God. Number one, gentle. He is a gentle lamb. Jeremiah eleven nineteen 19 prophesies this from the Old Testament. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. They devised schemes saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name be remembered no more. Jesus came as the gentle lamb. The lion of the tribe of Judah became the lamb who would be slain. And you see this in Jesus' character. You see this in the life of Jesus. We're about to go into a whole gospel proclaiming the way that Jesus lived, but Jesus loved the broken. Jesus, he loved the poor. Jesus loved the prostitute and the thief and the lepers. And it was his gentle spirit that proclaimed, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. It was his gentle spirit that was his quickness to be interrupted by the bleeding woman who touched the hem of his robe so that he could stop and hear her story and heal her and hear her testimony of prayers. Yet it was his gentle nature that made him willing to die and willing to become nothing. Though he could have wiped out a whole Roman army, With one word, he could have called an entire army of angels to come and save him, and yet willingly he crawled upon your cross, and he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, which is just a mind-blowing prophecy given to us 700 years before Jesus dies on the cross, it says, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, Jesus opened not his mouth. Like a lamb silent before the shears, he opened not his mouth. So behold the gentle lamb of God. The second thing that we should behold, second value in beholding God's lamb is it is a sacrificial lamb. It's a sacrificial lamb. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. This is interesting. Not only did each family sacrifice a lamb each year, but every day in the temple, two lambs were sacrificed and burned as a perpetual offering to the Lord. So every morning the priest would kill a lamb and burn it as an altar on the altar for the Lord. And then every evening the priests in the temple in Jerusalem they would kill another lamb and they would burn it all night long as an aroma to the Lord. Death happened every day. And the aroma of a burnt offering went up every day. And as pure of blood as priests could find in a little lamb that was shed A a lamb's life was shed every day. Something was always dying for the payment of sin and sacrifice was always burning as a reminder of our need for Yahweh. But when God brought the lamb, Jesus became the daily sacrifice, becoming the payment for sin's debt. When God brought a lamb to Passover, Jesus became the Passover lamb covering the sins of all whom he came to save. When God brought a lamb, Jesus freed us from animal sacrifice because he was the complete and spotless sacrifice that no animal could ever atone for. When God brought a lamb, Jesus died effectively dealing with the transgressions of all who would come to him. So behold the sacrificial lamb of God who took your place. Leads to the third thing that we should behold and that's that this lamb is a substitutionary lamb. Jesus is a substitutionary lamb of God. Romans declared the wages of sin is death. And the reality of that is it's supposed to be your death. Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth of God's word that you need to hear today is if you are going to die, or that you are going to die. And if you die without Jesus as your Lord and King, you will pay for all of your sins yourself. You can't avoid it. Death is coming, and so is judgment. Yet many of us passively believe we're okay. Many of us complacently stumble in and out of the doors of church, only to leave and fill our minds with sinful thoughts and activities all week long. John's declaration to behold the Lamb should have a massive exclamation point in our minds today because we all will die and we all will fall short of God's glory. So the closest picture that I could give to you as I was thinking about this this week is about how serious our sin is and how costly it should be for us is from Genesis chapter 22 when God asks his servant Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac God tells Abraham, take your son Isaac, whom I've given you, up onto a hill, place him on an altar, thrust a knife into his chest, and burn him alive on that altar. Sounds pretty horrific, doesn't it? Put yourself in that situation. Pretty unimaginable, unthinkable pain. And yet even this horrific act wouldn't have matched up to the horror of your sin, No doubt Abraham trusted God. No doubt Abraham believed that his life was nothing compared to the perfection of God. No doubt Abraham knew that he was not God, so he better obey the God of the universe. So Abraham puts his son on an altar, holds up a knife, and just before he sacrifices his one and only son, God puts a ram in the thicket nearby, causing a distraction ultimately causing a substitution for his son on that altar. Now hear this. Isaac deserved to die because of his sin, but God supplied a ram. You deserve to die because of your sin, but God brought a lamb. And when Jesus, who was in the beginning with God and was God, became flesh and dwelt among us, he became the ram in the thicket for you. The good news of the gospel is rooted in the wretchedness of your sin and in the substitution of Jesus' life for yours. Jesus, who never sinned, died on a cross in your rightful place so that you could live even though you sinned and be given all of Jesus' righteousness. So we are petty sinners if we ever think that God is unfair. We are pathetic people to ever think God hasn't given us what we deserve or that we should do more or that he should do more for us. The only unfair thing that God ever did was treat Jesus like he committed every one of your sins so that he could treat you like you lived Jesus's perfect life. And yet, man, isn't it so easy for us to just like get wallowing? Like Faith is just this thing that we have. Church is just this place that we go. Worship is just this thing that we passively do. It's a part of our heritage. We're in America, and we're one nation under God. And so we can come passively knowing the things that we need to know. And yet we go and complain all week long. And we're frustrated at God for the circumstances that we're going through. And we're, 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 we're angry at God. And, and our lives are not living sacrifices, constantly burning an aroma to the God of glory who substituted his son for us. Rather, we're just passively going through the motions, living for ourselves. When John says, behold the Lamb of God, he wants you to behold the substitutionary Lamb of God who came to take your place on the altar. The fourth thing that we should behold in the Lamb of God is that it is a satisfying Lamb. God's Lamb is a satisfying Lamb. I hopefully made your sin sound pretty wicked just there a moment ago. I hope you have a deep, deep hatred for your sin because it is your sin that separates you from the holiness of God. It is your sin that keeps you from having a relationship with God. If you're here today and you're like, man, I just want what they have, but I can't seem to get it, it's because your sin is holding you back. Your sin keeps you from the presence of God. Your sin blinds you from your need for God. Your sin nags at you to be defined by what you've done in your past your sin causes you to gratify the lust of the flesh every single day. Your sin puffs you up to think that you are actually a good person when none is righteous, no, not one. Your sin keeps you from believing that God could ever forgive you for what you've done in your past. Your sin tanks your day after you started your day with devotions and you resolved to have a good day. Your sin just tanks it because it comes and floods your mind. How did I get here after I had such a great morning with the Lord? Your sin keeps you enslaved. It keeps you enslaved to your porn addiction. It keeps you enslaved to drug addiction. It keeps you enslaved to alcohol. It keeps you enslaved to depression and anxiety and fear and entitlement and greed. And your sin aims to rule you. And for many of us, if we were to get really honest, we would say, my sin does actually rule my life. You need to hate your sin. You need to hate your sin. But the truth-filled reality this morning is God hates your sin more than you could ever fathom. God hates sin so much that he once flooded the earth, drowning thousands of people, regretting that he ever made the world. God hates sin so much that he created an eternal lake of fire called hell to confine people who are too prideful to bow to him as Lord and admit that they need him. And get this. God hates sin so much that even though he never sinned, he brought a lamb to the sinner's Passover meal and poured out all of his wrath, all of his anger, all of his hatred on his lamb that he brought that was spotless and never actually did anything wrong. And the lamb that God brought happened to be his only begotten son, Jesus. And when he poured out all of his hatred for mankind's sin on Jesus, it satisfied the hatred that he has toward your sin so you could forever experience his unfathomable love and forever experience his unfathomable kindness. Jesus's death, it was a satisfying death. It satisfied the debt that you owe, no matter what you've done. It satisfied the wrath of God poured out on sinners until he comes again. And it satisfied the sacrificial system so that we could forever remember the cross and come to Jesus as we are, but be eternally made new. Behold the satisfying lamb of God. And then the fifth thing that we should behold in the lamb of God is that he is a triumphant lamb. God's lamb is a triumphant lamb. There is victory in the lamb of God. Not only victory over your sin, not only victory over God's wrath, but there is victory over death because through the, though the lamb was slain, the lamb rose again from the dead. I'll read to you from Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 6. But the apostle whom Jesus loved, who wrote the gospel that we're studying, he actually wrote Revelation in your Bible as well. And God graciously took John to the throne room. And after John says, behold, the lamb, as Jesus stood before him, Even later, as Jesus ascended into heaven and was no longer in his presence, God gives him a vision of the eternal place. And this is what John writes in Revelation chapter 5. He says, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he took the scroll in his right hand, him who was seated on the throne and the living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they declared a new song worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth forever. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the 24 elders and a voice numbering of myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. And what did they say? They said, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. We serve a triumphant Lamb. He came and gave his life for you. He went silently before the shears. He was murdered. His life was brutally taken from this world, and yet he rose again from the dead. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and forever in eternity. His presence will be pointing back to the cross that took your sin forever in eternity. When you see Jesus Christ high and lifted up, he will appear as a lamb that has been slain for you. Every bruise, every scar, every nail piercing, every side piercing... Jesus' death will forever proclaim that you should have died, but you got his righteousness. And so today is the day to fall to your knees and proclaim and to behold the Lamb of God. Behold the gentle and the sacrificial and the substitutionary and the satisfying and the triumphant Lamb of God. He is worthy. So many implications as Jesus steps onto the scene And John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. But I want you to catch even how personal it gets as this statement continues. Number two this morning is this, see the unspeakable joy of sins erased. See the unspeakable joy of sins erased. And John the Baptist's statement in verse 29 goes on, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. Once you know the implications of God's Lamb, you can revel in the joy of all your sins being forgiven. Christian, is that how you're living your life? Are you waking up in the joy of your salvation every day? Do you find yourself happy that all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven? I don't. There are a lot of days that I wake up and I wallow in what I did yesterday or I get lazy, and I get complacent, and I don't find myself reveling in the joy that I have been forgiven. But I'm just so convicted, I've been on a mission to like raise the joy in my life. And what John 1 is helping me see is the only way to do that truly is to behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. You will forever stay in your misery if you do not behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. But Christian joy can be found even in the midst of the worst of circumstances because all of our sins are gone. Though I'm a sinner, Christ has set me free. Though I'm still surrounded by an incomplete creation, my ticket to paradise, it has been paid in Jesus. Though I still wrestle with my old nature, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. And if these statements are true of us, then we will spend the rest of our lives trying to sin less and trying to become more like Jesus. Why do I obey the Bible? Because my sins have been taken away. No one else could do that for me. I owe everything to the allegiance of Jesus Christ. In Leviticus chapter 16, there's another instance of a lamb that we get. And Leviticus gives us like all the the rules and all the different aspects of the sacrificial system, but I want you to hear this instance of a lamb or, or what was known as the scapegoat, okay? Leviticus chapter 16, it says this, and when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. So not a lamb that you're killing, but you bring a live goat to the priest. And Aaron shall lay both hands on the head, So you understand the idea of the scapegoat is God in his mercy, though you need to confess your sin, though you need forgiven of your sin, uh, to the Jews, God said, bring a goat, put your hands on the head of that goat, confess all of the sins of all of the people into that goat and, and then release that goat. And it's merely a shadow. It's a shadow of what is to come. It's a picture. It's a drama. As that goat runs into the wilderness, it was foreshadowing a day when God would bring a lamb to the table and God's lamb would take all of your iniquities, all of your sins, all of your past sins, all of your future sins, and they would fall on him in his perfection. And your sins are as gone as that goat is in the wilderness, never to be seen again, never to be brought up again. Jesus Christ is the scapegoat who takes away the sins of the world, your sins. It's amazing. Psalm one hundred three ten says this, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. That should be great news for you today. That should be something that you never forget. That's a verse that you should memorize and quote to yourself every single morning because when you're having a bad day, when you're going through a hard circumstance, when you're in a trial, you can say, you know what, it is hard right now, but God doesn't deal with me according to my iniquities. If I'm a believer, God hasn't dealt with me the way that he should deal with me because he dealt with his son in my place. Psalm 103:12 goes on and says this, as far as the east is from the west, So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Behold the Lamb of God who can take away your sins. What I want you to hear this morning is that you need forgiven of your sins, but there is nothing that you have done that cannot be covered by the perfect Lamb of God. And there is no one so good that they don't need covered by the Lamb of God. But when you truly behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin, your sins can be removed past, present, and future as far as the east is from the west. You don't have to dwell on it anymore. You don't have to live in it anymore. You don't have to be defined by it anymore. Somehow you receive joy from above and you live in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. And then I just want to end right here personally. Number three this morning is this. See the extravagant grace toward you. See God's extravagant grace toward you. Behold, see the immeasurable value in God's lamb. See the unspeakable joy in your sin being taken away and see the extravagant grace that God has had toward you. Don't miss this little phrase that John the Baptist proclaims. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world not the sin of the jews the sin of the world Don't miss the extravagant grace of God as John proclaims the lamb takes away the sin of the world. The Jews thought the Messiah was coming like a lion to give Israel power over Rome and the world. But when God brought a lamb, he made a way for every tribe, tongue, and nation to be in relationship with him once again and to be forgiven forever. The Jews did not have you in mind, but God did. Before the foundation of the world, God looked down throughout the world he created, beginning to end, and he brought a spotless lamb for you, a lamb to die in your specific place, a lamb to forgive your specific sins, a lamb to save you from death forever. And only God knew the time, the hour, the moment that his glorious gospel would reach your ears and pierce your rock-hard heart and drop you to your knees and surrender to him. For me, it was when I was a young boy, <laughs> The word of God was on display in my household and in my church and I was memorizing scripture and there was a moment when I went home and I just said, dad, I want to make Jesus the king of my life and he talked to me about what that means and I remember at the top of a staircase in this old house in Butler, Pennsylvania when I got on my knees with my father, I confessed my sins, I repented that I am a sinner and I'm desperately in need of a savior. I don't know when that was for you but hopefully your testimony is flooding back to you in this moment. It should be softening you. It should bring tears to your eyes because God has not left you on your own. Maybe for you it was after hitting rock bottom in prison or after overdosing, or maybe you were just so prideful that it took years for God to chip away at your hardness, but in the end, you saw his love and chasing you down, and today you live to the praise of his glorious grace. Y'all, in this room, I pray that there are hundreds of testimonies like John the Baptist who would proclaim all that you're not so that you could proclaim all that he is as you behold the Lamb of God who took away your sins. In my mind, I envision and pray for hundreds to flood this building in repentance to Jesus. In my mind, in my prayers, I hope for a whole city to know the love of Christ that can change their lives. In my mind, in my prayers, I imagine Notre Dame campus being so fed up with worthless religion because they need a desperate relationship with Jesus Christ who can save them. In my mind, I imagine our gatherings being completely interrupted by a move of God because we're so hungry and so desperate for his presence. I imagine a line for baptism so long that our gatherings just get interrupted and we just are captivated by the stories of people giving their lives to Christ. People uh, unwilling to stay complacent in their faith. People proclaiming that Jesus is truly Lord of their life and being unashamed to get up on this platform and declare it. All of that is possible when people behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of it. But you know what? For today, the only thing we gotta deal with is what about you? Where are you at when it comes to beholding the Lamb of God who takes away our sins? Heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices. When one person repents, do you understand that? We don't, need a, we don't need a flood of people. We don't need the whole city. We want the whole city. But heaven, they rejoice when one person repents of their sin and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. They understand the cost of you losing your life to follow Christ. Christ. They understand just how worthy Jesus is. And so they proclaim the name of Jesus holy, holy, holy around the throne over and over again. The the angels, they get it because they have beheld the Lamb of God with their own eyes. And this is an invitation today for you to behold the Lamb of God who can take away your sins. He's done it for the whole world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And because God brought a lamb The message of the gospel has made it to your ears today. Can you just bow your heads for a moment? I've been convicted this week to just behold him more. to be less satisfied with my faith where it is today and hunger and thirst for righteousness more. David said, one thing I ask, one thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I just press in for a moment? If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, let now be that moment. I've talked to some of you. You're teetering on the edge. You sense the Lord moving through His Word here. The Spirit of God is able to open your heart and humble you and soften you and change you forever. So give your life to Christ right there in your seat. Just tell the Lord you're a sinner, you're broken, you're in need of Him. Tell him you want to repent of your sin. That means turn away from the things of this world. And tell him you want to behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sins forever. You want that story. You want that to be part of your life. You want to move in step with Jesus as your king. For the rest in the room... Confess your sin to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive all of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Turn away from evil. Cling to what is good. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised one generation shall proclaim your acts to another and declare your mighty works for the believers in the room would you ask God for a deeper desperation a deeper longing to behold the Lamb of God Father we are in desperate need of you And Lord, I thank you for just a room full of people who would come and hear once again the the glorious truth and the glorious gospel that should define our lives. So Spirit of God, I just proclaim a desperate need for you here in Granger, Indiana, South Bend, Indiana, Michiana, Niles. Lord, we don't want to be content to stay where we're at But Lord, we need you to take us deeper. We need you to draw us to worship. We need you to move in our midst. We need you to show us who you are. We need you to set us on fire so that we could proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We need to behold the Lamb of God and not just say it like a pithy statement that Christians can say. But, Lord, we truly need to behold the gentle and the sacrificial and the substitutionary and the satisfying and the triumphant Lamb of God. Lord, would it rule our lives? Would it define our lives? Would it define our church? And would you move us, Lord, to action? Would you move us to repent today? Would you help us not to walk in and out of church just feeling a little conviction that we never do anything with? But Lord, would you draw us to our knees? Would you humble us so that we would see you as you really are, so that we would fear you in all of your holiness, so that we would receive the joy that comes with salvation, and so that we would live in the elation of all our sins being cast into the ocean, being ran off into the wilderness, Lord, we thank you, we need you, we behold you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. And let's respond.